Well, glory, amen. Hadn't that been good? Miss Paula, good to see you today, all the way from Oregon. Now, I love it when people drive in to see me preach. <laughs> what an encouragement, amen. For the last time in this series, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 13. We're going to finish up the book of Hebrews today, one way or the other. We'll be through before supper tonight. Thank God for our veterans. I thank God that we're a church that's able to understand that this flag is not an idol. This flag is not our salvation. This flag is not our sustenance. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with this country. And, and if you think, I know things are rough and I know things are evil. I know there's all kinds of things going around. But, folks, if you just get out in the world a little bit and travel around, you'll thank God for America, even in the shape she's in. Because she's never gone too far that a good from the Holy Ghost would not turn her around. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 13, we'll, we'll not read it today for the sake of time. We've read it before and gone through it before. But uh, I, met, I met a guy at the Southern Baptist Convention several years ago, and we became friends. His name's Carl, lives up in northwest Arkansas. And uh, uh, northwest Missouri, excuse me, I get Arkansas and Missouri mixed up. Uh, one has shoes and one doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say which is which, amen. <laughs> but anyway, I met this guy, and we sat down at lunch together at a convention, and we began to talk with each other and get to know each other. And I talked with him this week, and he had just come in from fishing. He had been a, on a three-hour fishing trip. And I thought, well, that's no big deal, three-hour fishing trip. But it had been sleeting and, and uh, uh, raining and misting rain and sleet, ice coming down. I said, man... What kind of person would stay in a boat for three hours with a sleet and all coming down? And he said, well, I, love, I see hands all over this place. I tell you, this altar ought to be full down here when we're through with this thing. Uh, and he said, I got a passion for fishing. I just, I love to fish. And uh, I said, well, man, the conditions. Oh, he said, well, you know, if you wait on the right conditions, you never get to fish. Sometimes the conditions are good, sometimes they're favorable, sometimes they're not. And I said, well, what if I came up and said, let's go play golf? He said, well, that's stupid. It's too cold to play golf. <laughs> I, said, what? I said, well, how about softball? Oh, that's even crazier. It's too cold to play softball. Now, you know, the bottom line is we end up doing what's passionate to us. And in this last chapter... It's like a bunch of P.S., 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 P.S. Uh, we've gone through Hebrews, and then he's added on all of these things to close things out. Uh, think with me for a moment. The trumpets are sounding. The daily evening sacrifice is being called together. The crowds are gathering around the temple. The Levites are all walking to the temple to make their way there. The outer courts are there, and the great pillars of stone are there, and the vast beauty, and then they go a little farther, and there's the silver and gold and, and the jewels, and the, the temple is just magnificent with its beauty. 
And then the priest that day goes a little closer and they receive an animal that's been selected to be offered up as a sacrifice. And that priest takes that animal there and he goes by the law according to the orders of Jehovah and he places that uh, sacrifice on the altar there and the smoke begins to rise and the incense and the entire area is filled with the smell of the offering to God. The sacrifices and the rituals are carried out by way of the law. And then in not too far the distance, there's a young man, a young Jew, who was next in line to become a priest, the tribe of Levi. But he had one problem. He became a Christian. One thing stops him. Not, it's, it's not into, he's not into the rituals. He's not into the sacrifices. He's, not in, he's become a child of God. And he looks from the distance and his friends are gathering together. They've abandoned him. His family is headed for the sacrifice. They've disowned him. They had a funeral after he said, I got saved. His family's disowned him. And in the midst of all of his looking at the grandeur of the temple and knowing what's going on, I believe with all my heart he had a pull to want to go back. That's what the book of Hebrews, that's who the book of Hebrews was written to. To Jews who had trusted in Christ. And then because of hardships and because of problems, there was a pull to go back. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness in God, in him. It's not an animal sacrifice. It's not a ritual. I go to heaven this morning based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's it. There's no other way. When we, you know, honestly, we, we, we probably haven't been tied up with the old covenant very much. And as, as a congregation living in 2023, we... We've not had to linger over the laws and the rituals and the ordinances and the sacrifices of the old covenant. We, we've not had to do that. But when we came to Jesus, we didn't leave the old covenant, but we left the old world. When we left that world, we left our friends, some of them. Some of them couldn't take it. We left our fame. We left our fortune. And though we want to follow Jesus, and I doubt there's a soul in this place today that would not say, I, my heart's desire, I really want to follow Jesus. And yet, we would be lying to ourselves to not say that the world has a pull on us, wanting us to go back. Go back into that former. Go back in what you used to do. Go back with the people you used to hang with. The writer compares the Christian life as a daily race, a grueling marathon. Sometimes there are conditions that make it more challenging. Sometimes there are sacrifices that have to be made. Sometimes it's painful and you wish things were different. But you don't quit. You don't go back. You don't give up. You don't wait till the circumstances get more favorable. 
you press on. And that's what the writer is saying here. Why do you press on? Because you're passionate about it. Jesus has saved you, redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb. And that's worth persevering for. This is what you were saved for, you were made for, you were gifted for, and you're still here. And until the Lord calls you home, you still go forward. One day to run with Christ and to run to Christ and to run for Christ. And one day we're going to run unto him and see him in that cloud in the sky. And we're going to see him face to face. At the end of chapter 12, the author writes for everyone, calls for everyone to make a decision. First of all, he calls for those who have not been saved. He pleads with them to be saved today. I would do that same thing this morning. I would say if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, please don't walk out of this place. I would plead with you. I would beg you. Time is short. I believe the end is near. I'm more excited about the end. If I, I would tell you, Chris will said years ago, if he could go to bed at night thinking 40% of his church, he'd see in heaven, he could sleep at night and be satisfied. Now, I, I want to walk softly here. But I don't want you to misunderstand me. I believe that when a person is truly born again, he gets the Holy Spirit and he's sealed into the day of redemption. I believe that. All my heart. Nothing can separate. I give unto them eternal life, they'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 10. But I must caution you today, in these last days that we're living, that just because you made a profession of faith 30 or 40 years ago, and you've never done anything for the Lord all your life, I must caution you, that, that's not what biblical salvation teaches. You see, there's no way that Jesus can come into an old heart and not make it different. The whole proof of whether you're saved or not is not if you made a commitment, not if you signed a card, not if you went to the baptistry. The whole proof of whether you're saved or not is are you living for Jesus? Yeah. Salvation is a progressive thing. It's every day. Yeah, we're going to fall. We'll see in here in a few minutes the Lord gives us how we overcome those falls. So he, he pleads for those who need to be saved. Please be saved today. Please do not leave this place without Jesus. And then he pleads for those who are saved, but they're tempted to give up. And they're tempted to give up because the race has become tough. Some people have been laughing at them, some people mocking them, some people saying, you know, this is stupid. All the church is is a crutch, and this is a bunch of bull, and blah, blah, blah. And the devil comes in on one side and all, and they're, they're pulled back and forth. And he says, listen, don't give up. And then the third group he preaches to that he calls for a, a, an answer to is those who are saved and they're persevering. They done made up their mind they ain't going back. They done made up their mind they're going to follow Jesus the rest of their life, however long that may be. They done figured out that man can't do anything to them. Only a holy God can. 
I think there are four main ways that the author has given us here in this 13th chapter to live a gospel-centered life. I'd like to share them real quickly with you. These are 16 pages of notes, but I'll try to get through them as fast as I can. <laughs> I, think, I think number one is this, and we're just going to go by the verses. Just open it to Hebrews 13. We're going to stay right there. We're not going to linger. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, I think he tells us that we need to practice hospitality and friendliness. That's what he said. Let brotherly love continue. Be not unforgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels and unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. He gives us three specific groups of people that we need to show hospitality to. Number one is the church, our brothers and sisters. We may not all agree in this place this morning. We, we don't all agree. I can guarantee you we don't all agree. And I, I hope you've not been offended thus far. Uh, we, we, we may not all agree, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're to show each other brotherly love. Uh, and then he talks about those who are outside the church, strangers. And then he talks about those who are in prison. I love the prison ministry. We've got a great group of people here that participate in that and participate in the auxiliary things too. And I praise God for them. In this scripture, he's not just talking about total prison. What he's talking about is those people who have been sent to prison because of their stand for their faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to put up with a lot of that yet. But the day's coming. And he's saying, if you've got people in your church, you've got leaders, you've got deacons, you've got teachers who have stood on the word of God and they have thrown them in jail, he said, don't you abandon them. You make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, selfless love is really a, a defining mark of a Christian. You find somebody selfish, hmm. I'm going to make my wife mad. She's a sweet person. And she is, she's right on a lot of things. But she doesn't know the difference between hospitality and entertainment. You see, when we have somebody over at our house, it's a two-day marathon deep clean. There's a sign on the bathroom door, do not use Charles. <laughs> I don't get to use the bathroom over there. I walk around, you know, and then someone comes over, and we have a great time fellowshipping and everything. Everything's just wonderful and great. See, the difference between hospitality and entertainment is we're entertaining them. We've been worried about how the place looks. I can't come in here with that. My goodness, your shoes are still out here. I'm going to wear them tomorrow. <laughs> That's entertainment. You say, well, what's hospitality? 
Hospitality is it doesn't matter what you're coming into. You're more concerned with the people than you are with the place. Listen, that's what he's saying. We need to love one another. It doesn't matter what the place looks like. If you've got kids and your house is a wreck, thank God you've got kids that'll tear your house up. <laughs> Amen? You, you, you know, we're, we're older now. We, my wife always learned one thing from a pastor's wife, Brittany, and that was this. Always keep the living room presentable. I mean, we have never had a time where somebody came in and we were rushing. Now, if they'd open one door to the bedroom, buddy, I guarantee you, it, it would have been bad news. But we, that's hospitality. Amen? That's hospitality. Uh, and we, 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 we get to the place where we're more concerned about the setting than we are with the people. And you, when you, you get a chance, don't be creepy this morning. But when you get a chance, you know, kind of wander around and look at this crowd. Most of you, according to the world standards, are well off. Even in American standards, most of you had breakfast this morning. You had a car, you had a house. You know, we could go on and on like that. But in this room right here are many, many needs. Many needs. Not just financial. There are some financial needs in this place. There's some people in this place that just need a genuine conversation. I watched this morning in the early service as a lady sitting by herself, and I thought, man, somebody needs to go over there. There's some people that just need a listening ear. They need a shoulder to cry on. They, there, there are folk here today that just need a hug and somebody say, hey, I, I love you, or maybe an encouraging email. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, kind of whining a little bit this week. And I heard a ding, and it was an email from one of our people here and just telling me, hey, I appreciate you, blah, blah, blah. You, hey, you have no idea what that does for somebody. We were reading all of the cards that were given last week. My goodness. Maybe somebody needs a home-cooked meal delivered. Maybe somebody interceding for prayer. I was at Sam's yesterday and talking to one of the men in our church, and another man came up and said, I, I, Matt Tucker was my boss. And he said, I love old Matt Tucker. I said, we talking about the same guy? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, he said, I love Matt Tucker. And he said, I watch you every week on live stream. Never met the man before in my life. Listen, you don't know what, what one email that you send out, or you don't know what one encouraging word would do to help somebody else. And as a Christian, we're to be paying attention to those who are around us. We're to be watching. You can tell when somebody needs something. And... and, and and then he talks about strangers and uh, uh, be careful because you could entertain angels. I think that's probably coming from Genesis 18. Abraham saw three strangers there, and he was very nice to him, gave him a place to live, gave him food, you know, shelter for the night and all of that. And the Bible says that he ended up entertaining two angels and the pre-incarnate Christ. See, when strangers come, you don't know who they are. Yeah, but our society, we can't trust anybody. Well, we can trust the Lord. I mean, I'm not telling you now, ladies, pick up a hitchhiker on the road. 
But I am telling you, when you see strangers in the store <clears throat> and they're, they're just almost openly weeping and you know they've got a problem, you, could, you couldn't figure that out? That, hey, maybe they need somebody just to hug them and say, can I pray for you a minute? We need to entertain strangers. If you're going to live a gospel, live life. Now, let me hurry. <clears throat> let me back that up. <laughs> because some of you don't believe me. You need to go back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, you, you clothed me when I was naked. You gave me food to eat. You, took, you visited me, blah, blah, blah. All, and he went on all of these things. And they said, Lord, when did we see you sick? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of one of these, you've done it to me. You want to please the Lord? Entertain strangers with hospitality and friendliness. Let me give you the second thing. Uh, respecting marriage deeply. None of these are very easy. <laughs> Verse 4. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That word honor means to prize or to value or it's precious. It, it, marriage is important for many reasons. One primary reason is it's important is because it's a picture of something bigger and greater. In Ephesians 5, he talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife being like the relationship of the church, of Christ loving the church. He loves her unceasingly, and they submit and unconditionally. And so when you dishonor marriage, you're dishonoring the perfect picture of redemption. Now, one way we respect and honor marriage is to agree with God what it is. Amen? Well, I wonder what it is. Well, the Bible tells us what it is. Genesis 2:24. I'm walking softly. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, let me tell you something, folks. Conservatives didn't say that. The preacher didn't say that. Baptists didn't say that. God said that. God is the one that said there's a a man leaves his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. God said that's marriage between a man and a woman. No wonder the devil wants everybody to be wondering if they're really a male or if they're really a female because if he can get you so confused on whether you're a male or female, he'll totally wipe out marriage. It may be hard to hear, but there's no such thing as same-sex marriage. It's impossible. It is impossible. And, and it, it doesn't exist because it can't exist. You can't have it. You say, well, yeah, but this is us. Listen to me. God designed marriage, and he defined marriage. The creator created marriage, and he's the one who created it, and he says what it is. You can call it any name you want to call it, but when you get down to calling marriage, biblical marriage, it is one man with one woman for one life. That's what marriage is. Now, I realize, uh, you know, uh, you say that seems so unloving. It'd be like me going to the doctor 
and the doctor notices I've got cancer. But he knows that I'm getting old and he knows that, you know, I don't need any more stress on me. And so he says, you know what I think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell him he's got a cold and give him some antibiotics. Because I love him, I don't want him to be upset. You think that's loving me? No, I need to know the truth. Maybe there's a treatment. Maybe there's a way I'm through this. I need to know what the truth is. Listen, when we sit around as a church, I, I don't know what people expect. I don't. I really don't. If you're going to a Hindu worship service today, wouldn't you expect to hear what the Hindus teach? If you're going to a Muslim service today, wouldn't you expect to hear what the Muslims teach? then bless God, why do you come to a Baptist church and wonder why the preacher wants to preach the Word of God? That's what we stand on here. That's all that makes us different and unique. We've got Jesus and we've got the Word of God. Well, we also honor and respect marriage by avoiding sexual immorality. It says it right here. No sex outside of marriage. No sex with someone that's not your spouse. We were in uh, Kenya. They've got some problems there, like everybody else. Jason was doing the, Jason and BJ were doing the, I think it was BJ, was it Denny? It was BJ. First question asked, when can I have sex? That was the first question asked. Now, in Kenya, it is legal to have two wives. I'm not sure why, but it's legal to have two wives. The church doesn't support that. They're against that. They teach against it. Well, let me ask you something. <laughs> the question that was thrown out to us. If, I, if I'm lost and I've got two wives and suddenly the Lord comes into my heart and life and I get saved, what am I going to do? Huh? See, sometimes life's not as simple as what we want it to be. I told him, find a brother that he had and give one to him, but I... <laughs> I can't, I can't biblically back that up, <laughs> all right? Uh, some of you young people may have heard this this morning. You're saying, man, I've already messed up. Could, could I tell you, I'm speaking the truth to you. You can ruin your marriage before you're ever even married. You say, I've already messed up. Not going to be anything you can do about that except repent and tell the Lord from this day forward, I'm going to be your person. You can't do anything about the past, but you can do something about today. And I'm telling you, the immorality that abounds in this world today, you can't turn a television station on. I don't care if it's me TV. I think they're still about clean, but that's about the only one I've seen. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Fornicators are not going. Idolaters are not going. Adulterers are not going. Effeminate are not going. Abusers of themselves are not going. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of those are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to what he says in the next verse. And such were some of you. Huh? You've been there and done that. But, praise God for that but. 
you're washed you're sanctified you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God praise the Lord you once were dirty now you are clean you once were a pervert now you're perfected you once were an enemy of God now you're a child of God how do you do it <laughs> you, you know what the whole deal is in a nutshell God is a better forgiver than you are a sinner God forgives remembers it no more let me give you number three <laughs> look at verse 5 and 6 pursuing contentment intentionally let your conversation be without covetous be content with such things as you have for he has said I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I'll not fear what man shall do unto me I want you to know, first of all, he's pursuing contentment. Paul said uh, in, in uh, 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 well, Paul said, <laughs> my mind blank. Paul said that I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. He said, I've learned. That means it's not a spiritual gift. You didn't get it when you got saved. And the word learned in there is a Greek word that says learn from experience. Paul said, I've learned from experience to be happy where I am with what I've got. Because that's what God wants me to have. It may not be where I want to be, but that's where God's got me right now. And I'm content. I've learned by example and by experience to be content with where I am right now. If there was one thing that I would ask people to be careful be careful be careful of it would be keep your lives free from the love of money now I didn't say free from money you need money you gotta have money to live you need money to retire on I'm not talking about any of that I'm talking about you know it's like when they ask Rockefeller how much would would make you happy how much more money he said just a little bit more just a little bit more and when money becomes the, all you think about, what you're going to do is you're going to end up submitting to money instead of Jesus. Now, you say, preacher, I don't think I can overcome some of these things. Well, there's two ways, he says. Look at it in the verse. He said, number one in verse five, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> he said, I'll never, never, never forsake you. That's in the Greek. There are five negatives. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. Some of you think you're having to go home. Some of you listening by live stream. You're in a, in, a, in a room all by yourself, and you think, listen, you're not by yourself. God said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's there with you. But not only that, he said, the Lord is my helper. In verse 6, I, mm, the Greek had different words for learned and that's the one by experience and let me just touch here a minute and I'm through if we're not careful sometimes we hurt our children and our grandchildren by saying things like I don't want them to have to go through what I went through you only learn by experience if you bail them out every time and they never learn anything they, they, they don't have a chance to learn it by experience I gotta hurry. Let me give you the last thing. It's a tough one. You gotta honor the church 
devotedly. Honor it. 7 and 8 of Hebrews 13. Remember them which have the rule over you. You have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That can mean two things. Number one, it can mean some of you have had pastors who have poured their lives into you. When you were young people and middle-aged people and young adults and getting older and they poured their life, he's saying, don't you forget what those men of God taught you in the past. But he's also saying, you follow the pastor of the church you're at. Now, uh, verse 17 adds to that down there in chapter 13. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch your souls and they must be given account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. What he's saying here is this. I know some of y'all got tough jobs. You got tough jobs, amen? They're hard. But I dare say there's not a one of you in this place. I'm not bragging. I have nothing to brag about. That's got a job as tough as I have. I am required to watch over your souls. <laughs> now, the bottom line is I'm going to give an account to God for how I led this church. You're going to give an account to God for how you followed the leadership of this church. That does not mean that we set up a dictatorship. It means that the pastor ought to be a servant leader. I think if you will look back, I can't think of anything, but somebody might have. I don't think there's ever been a thing I've ever asked you to do that I've not been the one leading you to do it. I've tried to do everything I expect anyone else to do. You know, you want to know what bothers me? Is that I'm not in one of these crank-heavy churches where a couple of families run everything, where the preacher don't get a say in nothing. I'm in a church that has followed my leadership. I'll never be able to stand before God on that day and say, well, Lord, we could have done a lot more at Woodland Hills, but I had some crankheads that you just couldn't deal with. Because there are very few of you crankheads left. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to say that. I'm going to have to say, Lord, I pastored a church that, man, they were loving. They were, they would work, they'll work you to death. This church got more ministries than Carter's got liver pills. And you're the ones that operate them and make them go. You know, you're it. I just remind you that God didn't give us pastors just to marry and bury us. And I say that today because I'm not going to always be in this pulpit. But the man of God who is in this pulpit, you need to honor and respect and follow. Second thing is, to live a life like that, you need to stick to Scripture. It's the Word of God. He said in verse 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. It's a good thing the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Don't go back to legalism. Don't bring in a bunch of false people here that's going to teach you 
things that are not in the Word of God. I've spent my whole life people saying, well, I, I know what the Bible says, but I'll tell you, I know what happened to me. Well, that's the devil. He's got authority here on this earth. If it's not in the Word of God, quit trying to make the Word of God come to your testimony and let your testimony go to the Word of God. Because this is what God says here. Nothing else. Stick with the Word of God. And then lastly, stand with Jesus. The bodies, verse 11 through 14, those beasts, the blood was brought into the sanctuary, burned without the camp. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth unto him without the camp, for we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We think we don't have here anything on this earth, and we don't. It's going to all pass away. But I tell you what we do have. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got a home waiting for you that men did not build. I've seen some good builders in my life. But I'm telling you, when we get up there, man, you're going to say, wow, who put this thing together? The King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one. The questions today are the same that the writer of Hebrews asked. If you're not here today and you know, you know you're not saved, would you come to Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're going through a rough situation. Man, I would hope that anybody in this church could pray for you and would pray for you. I mean, if you're going through something right now and you don't want to make, just go up to somebody and say, listen, <clears throat> I'm going through a whole lot. Come to this altar. <coughs> Share with the staff. And for those of you this morning who know you're saved and you're committed and you're serving the Lord, and there's a bunch of you. We could not be doing as a church what we're doing if it were not for you. Your attendance, your works, and your service, your finances, your talent, all of those are because of you. We couldn't be doing it. I would just encourage you, don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Father, thank you this morning for your love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that when we were nothing, you came and lifted us up. Thank you, Lord, that we're still nothing today without you. You're everything. Thank you for using us. And I pray today, maybe there's somebody here that's lost. Maybe somebody here needs a church home. Lord, whatever needs to happen, all we're asking is that you, your will be done. Whatever you want done. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together? So we have this invitation time. I encourage you, come on right now. Don't wait on anybody else. Oh, to Jesus.